You know, it seems that a lot of people I speak with on this podcast love plants. So where would you put yourself on the spectrum? From plant curious to plant obsessed. Hello and welcome to Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design, how we live, the clothes we choose, and how we organize our space. I'm your host, Alexandria Lawrence, a certified KonMari consultant and personal stylist. I'm here to guide you on your journey to live a happy, fulfilled life. Every Tuesday, you'll get new insight on what it means to live well, plus actionable tips. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life. And now, to celebrate all my delightful guests, I'm doing a couple roundup episodes to wind up the year. You'll hear highlights from our conversations, and yes, there are certain themes that crop up, one of which is a love of plants. My dad has even said that he's found himself looking at plants online recently, so I think that's rather lovely. We also chat about art and design, limiting beliefs, and of course, the importance of self-care. Let's start with plants. Musician Charlotte Fairbairn has a story to tell. I saw a comedian, a little clip someone sent me of a comedian the other day. He said a thing with millennials is that we, we move house every year and we can't afford to have children. So the thing that we do is have house plants. <laughs> that, that, that takes up our nurturing you know, our capacity. <laughs> I just uh, thought of myself immediately. They're my only friends. <laughs> I know you're going to laugh here, but actually tending to my plants and appreciating them is probably the closest thing I come to a daily routine. There's something about growing things and seeing things germinate and the seeds come up and a little shoot and then when they start to put out new leaves and shoots and little buds and things and then when they grow healthy and then you pop them out and then uh, there's something so magical about that and especially in this time that's been quite disturbing for a lot of us it's really been a source of hope for me and so I for example grew these really wacky there's like an Asian squash plants they have gone completely bonkers and I planted them out in a big bed in the garden and made a frame for them. And I know it sounds really sad, but this brought me so much happiness. <laughs> and um, just, I often will go up there every day just to see what they're doing, because they, they grow so quickly. And I just I sometimes just go and look at them and go, wow, you're so amazing. <laughs> so tell me, Charlotte, do you talk to your plants? I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Normally comforting things, like when I'm pinning them up, I say, look, you're going to be okay because I'm going to pin you here. Then you can grab onto that and you can, you'll can, you be fine. <laughs> Maybe I'm just giving myself pep talks through the plants. I don't know. Oh, but it's wonderful. I, I do exactly the same thing with my indoor plants and even watering them. I'll say something like, oh, you're so beautiful today. Aren't you pretty? Yes. <laughs> I can really imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or not, but thank you. <laughs> Does your partner get the same love and attention, Alexandria? Uh, mostly, yes. <laughs> Something that's quite funny, before the coronavirus or, or any of that, I was away for a couple of days and Ben needed to tend my plants for me. And he said that he even found himself talking to them. Oh, wow. 
So everyone out there, it's absolutely fine. You should definitely talk to your plants. <laughs> yes, that's right. Talk to your plants. So Charlotte completed her KonMari marathon with me nearly a year ago. Amazing how time flies. And she happened to move house just a couple months later. I wouldn't say that moving can be a, a pleasant experience, but I was slightly gleeful about the number of boxes <laughs> because I was like, if I hadn't done my clear out with Alexandria, this would have been twice as many boxes. And so when we got to the final category of sentimental items, did you feel confident to take on those possibly more intimidating items that have sentimental value? Again, the method really wins the day for a couple of reasons. First of all, as some listeners might know, you deliberately leave that category to last so that you've actually practiced, you flex those muscles and develop some skills being able to sift more effectively through all the categories so that by the time you get to the last one, you've honed those abilities. But also that you might end up with things as a collection. And actually what you're hoping to preserve is the memories, but actually you don't need all the rubbishly taken photographs and ones of someone's sort of head turned at a strange angle because you didn't quite get the moment and all those kind of things that we've forgotten about because we now have digital cameras and iPhones and stuff. Actually, I only needed one or two things to really preserve a memory. And actually, if you get rid of the ones that are less good, you end up with a collection that is greater than the sum of the parts because the few photos that you have left are the nice ones. I think I feel like what I've retained is stronger in the memories because it's concentrated and because it's only the vital bits. And that's much more valuable than keeping everything just because you want to keep everything, you know. What was the benefit, would you say, of having a consultant work with you? I think the benefit was absolute. I think if someone's doing a clear out, it's possibly that they have not yet developed the way in which they wish to filter their possessions. The first question is, do I need or want this? And quite often, if you ask that for yourself, you can justify a lot of things. You really can. You can justify almost anything to yourself. But actually having someone to say, do you really need that, I want that, and help go through the questions of what is it, what the value of it is, and actually does it require space in your house and your life and, and all that. And holding you to account was, for, for me, invaluable. And I think that you have an excellent mixture of quite strict, but, but encouraging. <laughs> Innes Stuart Davidson also has a deep connection with the natural world. She is a graphic designer and photographer and works at Kew Gardens. It seems that when people in all walks of life think of their happy place, they often picture something in nature, something that takes them away from feelings of anxiety or overwhelm that they might experience in daily life. What would you say your happy place is? Do you have one? Definitely being at Kew because I've got so many memories of it as a kid, like in the snow, uh, in the rain. One of my earliest memories of it is walking into the Marianne North Gallery and just loving all of it, all the organised like photos next to each other of beauty and science, like perfectly blended in. I don't remember saying this, but a family friend said that when I walked out, I went, I want to be a botanist. <laughs> so I've got it wrong. 
I mean, I'm not a botanist, but I'm a graphic designer and I like working with nature. So I think that's really good as well. But, you know, it's never too late to like go and learn something different. If I want to go and work with plants one day, I'll go and change that. So what would you say the most important element is in nature photography? How can everyone listening up their nature photography game? I think that having a good camera is key, but I think that photography can make your life so much better as a hobby. It's a great stress reliever. So when you look around at the beauty surrounding you, you simply can't help but understand how small you are when you realize how vast everything else is. Focusing on detail, you can focus on form, texture, colour, seasonal. I mean, there's just so much. Is there a particular time of year that you really love photographing or a season? I think spring and autumn are my favourites, just for different reasons. Spring, you've got everything just bursting out after it's been grey for so long. And autumn, you can really focus on like the textures and detail. I like going out a lot in the rain because you've got all the raindrops on the leaves. And I really enjoy photographing that and then turning it black and white and, you know, changing the contrast. Or when you've got frost early in the morning and you can see it creeping along all the plants. I just love that. I think sometimes when I go to Kew on my own terms, I just tend to photograph everything. Whereas when you set yourself a theme for that one day and say, oh, I'm only going to do texture today, you get some amazing results that you probably would have missed normally. So I think it's actually good sometimes to set yourself a, a goal for that day. And we venture into some interior design territory as Innes talks of her love of curiosities. What I love about my parents' house is that they have just so many curiosities and things collected from around the world. I love their house a lot because it's just like its own mini museum. And so I guess I've adopted that in my own flat. Like I've got an old letterpress drawer that I've basically hung up on the wall and all my little curiosities hang in there. So I've kind of blended from what I've learned at home into my own flat and a lot of my furniture is repurposed. I didn't want it to all just look like it had come from the same place. I've just been always interested in little wonders, basically, which is probably why I really enjoy going to museums because I'd get personal connections to things and I take a photograph of it and then I think, oh, one day I could use that in a drawing or something. Yes, I love that. Little wonders in your own cabinet of curiosities at home. I think that's a, a lovely approach to curating your beautiful, creative little world. And Innes, would you say that you have a vision for what your ideal life looks like for you? So last year, I worked on something which is a Japanese concept called Ikigai and uh, found my sort of reason for being, like why I like to get out of bed in the morning. So I listed my values, things I like to do, what I'm good at, and realised I should just pursue my curiosities and don't stop questioning and explore life with a wider perspective. So I think for me, that's quite important. I think I sometimes feel trapped a little bit in this sort of modern lifestyle of having to do things quickly and I think I just also need to realise when I'm a bit burnt out and say no to things that I don't really want to do. And for sure, don't try to fit in with others. Own your individuality. I'm learning that people come and go and the right ones stay. I think that's really important, especially after lockdown. 
and also surrounding yourself with the right kind of energy. People often say that you are sort of the five people who are closest to you in terms of energetically how you feel and um, maybe your approach to how big you think, your goals and dreams. Definitely. I mean, the beauty of nature and all of its effects upon the senses, I mean, uh, that's pretty much what I live for. Like, I love feelings of awe, wonder and amazement. Things are just bigger than myself, like being in the mountains and just breathing in that air or being by the sea. My mum and I went to La Palma in January and we just went to a, a pine forest and just soaking in all the terpenes and everything was just so nice. It was just so wild with plants. There were so many plants everywhere. I was actually really overwhelmed. I hardly took any pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just really nice to just soak it all in yes nature puts everything into perspective doesn't it so yeah do you have a, a lifestyle tip like a, a top tip for living well limit your time on your phone and go outside and get in touch with nature in a more meaningful way it's really the most important thing I think with all this negative news about loss of biodiversity and We've lost so much knowledge of nature and we're losing tribes that have that knowledge. We really need to connect on a different level. And I think even just going out and going to the park and collecting things together and making, even if you don't think you're creative, you definitely are creative. Just you haven't found the right thing maybe for you yet. Well, hello. Can I just say thank you? Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, it would mean the world to me if you'd rate and review also in pink. I'll make it super easy for you, and you can even win a prize. Submit your review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for a chance to win a 20-minute one-to-one virtual coaching session with me. Pick my brain about life, KonMari, or style. I'll announce the monthly winner on each Ask Alexandria episode, So be sure to listen out to see if your review gets picked. All you need to do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash also in pink and rate and review the show. Want tips on how to win? Write something genuine. Be thoughtful and let your personality shine through. Bonus points for a dash of charm. And for your weekly dose of podcast joy, subscribe to Also in Pink so you never miss a show. Thank you so much. You really are a star. Art director and curator Martin Clark also has plants on his mind. His exhibition, The Botanical Mind, opened at Camden Art Centre this autumn. It feels like a great moment, actually, to think about plants again. You know, we've all been forced to become a bit more plant-like. We've all had to slow down. We've all had to stay in one place. We've all had to attend to our sort of environments. Our worlds have shrunk a bit. And that's a bit like plants. You know, people sort of denigrate plants because they don't move around and they're not like animals. But actually, plants have a very different sort of knowledge of place and they just relate to their environment in incredible ways, actually. And so, um, yeah, with the whole pandemic going on, it's felt quite a timely moment to, to think about plants. We also talk about sustainability and the art world. And 
Have you had a, a chance to think about a, a longer term change, how flying or bringing in artwork from other countries? Do you know yet what implications that will have for future exhibitions where you go more local or what do you know at this point? It's a really good question. The thing that makes it difficult is that we've always been so committed to sort of internationalism and to a really outward looking global perspective and and being somewhere like London, we're very lucky because it's a hugely kind of multicultural city and that's absolutely part of what we celebrate through our exhibitions and through the work that we do. But it also has always felt incredibly important to be bringing artists and bringing ideas and positions and viewpoints and people from other places to the galleries and, and showing that work. So the challenge is how we do that without having this impact through flying and flying people and flying objects. What I'm thinking is that we want to get to a point where, yes, we will definitely be working more locally and we need to be supporting artists in the UK and in London. And it's a really difficult time for anybody in the creative industry. So it's a good moment to be doing that. And then in terms of that more kind of international vision, we're thinking about rather than shipping large objects, paintings, sculptures, which is very expensive and it's very, um, yeah, it's very unenvironmentally friendly. If we can bring a person and then they can be with us for extended periods of time, then maybe we can provide the conditions for work to be made here and made for exhibition. So um, it's still early days, but we're thinking that a model where rather than moving big objects and lots of big things, huge exhibitions around the world, you know, if you move an individual and then give them studio space and time and support them, then, um, yeah, work can be made in this country or on site towards an exhibition. And Martin had his colours done with me earlier this year. He was one of my first seasonal colour analysis clients. He reflects on that experience. To start with, you're putting colours on me that I would never have thought of wearing, and which I also almost thought, you know, there was these sort of unwritten rules that they wouldn't suit me because of my colouring you know, my skin tone and my hair colour. And and so the revelation was really that, yeah, that this whole sort of palette of colours that I would have just assumed had I just looked at them on clothes in a, in a store were not my colours. What was interesting was the way that they were draped and then you could see how they reflected onto your skin and how the tones in your skin and your eyes, etc., would would really shift and change. And I haven't thought about it like this, but it, it, it's obvious in a way because that's how when you're making a painting, you know, the way that you put colours next to each other is so much happens in that. And one colour in a tube or on a palette looks like a totally different colour if you put it next to another colour, changes it completely. So, of course, you know, that's going to happen when you when you wear colours and when you put them next to your skin and, and, and your hair, etc. So it was, no, it was really interesting. And I was really happy with my colours. So, do you know how fabrics are made? Textile designer Beatrice Larkin says a lot of people really don't have a clue. It's also funny, you forget when you study weaving or when it's so much part of your life, you forget how people just don't really know about how fabrics are made. I've had it more than once when I tell people I'm a weaver or a woven textile designer, they say, oh, that's pretty niche, that, that can't be that you know, popular these days. And you just think, well, you know, every fabric you wear, sit on, that's all around you is either knitted or woven and someone's got to design it. And then, you know, there's the kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I do love it. And people do love when I start talking about it. It can be difficult as well not to get too technical because I do start talking about the weaving process and then 
you realise some people don't actually have any clue about how a fabric, how it's made. So um, kind of got to judge the room, I think. There. <laughs> That's very true. And would you say that you have a daily habit or a ritual that brings you joy? Well, at the moment, yes. My neighbours have a dog called Bryn and I've been taking him for walks every day along the beach. And I went for an hour and a half walk this morning. And yeah, that is what's bringing me joy at the moment. I mean, they keep on thanking me for walking him and I'm just like, no, (laughs) thank you. Because it's like literally the thing I look forward to most days. Yeah, so that's been really great. And just kind of leaving my phone at home as well and just going for a walk along the beach with a dog. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, can't do much better than that. (laughs) And... Would you say that you have a vision of what your ideal life looks like? Is that something you've ever thought about or considered? You know, it's funny. I've been going through a lot of old notebooks when I was doing sort of business mentorship and business projections. And I found this timeline that I drew in like July 2017. It was a timeline until July 2020 because you meant to project what's going to come up for the next three years of your business. And in July 2020, it said build a studio and move to the sea. And I was like, oh my God, I've done it. So it's just bizarre. It's not quite, you know, in the way I thought it would happen. But because I grew up around here, I've always kind of felt like I wanted to live by the sea. I'd like to have my own house by the sea and I love to have my own studio and have my own dog as well, not be borrowing the neighbour's dog to take walks. (laughs) And yeah, it's just trying to figure out whether it's the right thing for me at the moment to stay here. Because I do also have a drive to be back in London you know it does get an addictive way of living in London and I do miss that although I know that's not a reality now anyway but yeah it's just trying to figure out whether that's actually something I want to do now live by the sea permanently we'll see I do love it here it's a very different headspace oh for sure and it's lovely to be able to test it out really that's what you're doing giving it a test drive life by the sea with a dog yeah (laughs) And what's your favourite article of clothing or accessory in your current wardrobe? Oh, that is a tricky one because like living by the sea and not really going out much recently in terms of having a social life. <laughs> I'm just my pyjamas, maybe? <laughs> no, no, I won't say my pyjamas. I'd have to say my silver jewellery. I wear, a, not at the moment, but I wear a lot of rings. And when I put my rings on, I really feel like I'm ready to face the day. I don't know. It kind of feels like almost not weaponry is the wrong word, but like, you know, it makes you feel strong. And Mm. that's a very real thing, isn't it? Sort of dressing for how you want to feel or accessorizing. So yes, power can come from your (laughs) jewellery. Absolutely. And this is a very KonMari question. What would you say that you're grateful for? I always feel so grateful I have and I always kind of have had a drive within me to create and make and my creativity I suppose and that's something that you don't ever really lose I don't think I'm never bored I always have something to do in terms of designing something new making something new and I'm so glad I have that within me always you know I feel for people that don't have a real passion in life or a drive and yeah I'm really grateful for that and relax Now for a bit of self-care with recreational therapist Shauna Nordstrom. I would say all of rec therapy is basically bringing about self-care and taking care of yourself. And 
It's figuring out where's the need, what in my self-care am I lacking? The best groups that I had were when I could ask a question and they give me the answers of like, why would I give you this activity? Like, why would this be for your mental health? What can we gain from this? What can we learn? And they would make their own ties like, oh, yeah, I quit back there. And it wasn't until the rest of the group cheered me on that I kept going. So maybe I need cheerleaders in my life to encourage me to keep going or taking it and be like, remember how you wanted to quit? And you were like, this is impossible. This is difficult. Guess what? You just finished it. So was it impossible? Can you do it? And it's, again, it's that idea of motivating and encouraging and recognizing, like, did that take time? Yeah, it took a lot of time. Did you have to start over a few times? Yeah, you did. But you did it. So going back to a bit of self-care and setting those boundaries, if you're someone who does struggle to make time for yourself, how do you think you can get better at setting those boundaries? What would you recommend is the first step? I think finding out how much time you can allot yourself or need to allot yourself. You know, because again, everyone's different. And some people are like, hey, I only need like an hour a week of doing something that's just for me. And other people are like, oh, I need, you know, a half hour every day. First of all, it's figuring out how much time do you need. And then it's breaking it down like, so how can I make sure that this allotted time happens? Where in my schedule can I make sure I fit it in? Or if it's this intense, it's no longer about fitting it in. It's like, okay, I am literally writing this in my calendar. This time is blocked out. Nothing else can take this time. If the kids have to go to soccer practice, my husband's sending them, you know, whatever (laughs) it is. But it's like, this is my me time or my sacred time. And this is just for me. And sometimes it's like, if I don't plan on what I'm going to do during that time, it no longer is really fulfilling me time. It's just, oh, because I didn't plan anything fun for me, I'm just going to get some of my to-do list done. And it's no longer as therapeutic. Figure out how much, set it aside, and then plan during that time and just make it happen. Shauna's dad has a saying that has stuck with her over the years. My dad would always say this whenever we were pouting or in a foul mood or whatever. He would say, it's only the view from where you sit that makes you feel defeat. Life is full of many aisles, so why don't you change your seat? And it rhymes even better. Right? And so whether it was like we're in a bad mood or we can't do this or whatever our attitude is, we have control. And so it's deciding, am I going to sit here and be miserable because something didn't go my way? Or am I going to be defeated and feel like I can't do something because something didn't go my way? And it's all about changing your perspective and changing your attitude. It's funny because to this day, even as a wife and mother, there are times where I'll be frustrated or I'll be mad or I'll be annoyed or sad or whatever. And that saying will pop into my head and I'll be like, change your seat, Shauna, get up, come on, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And then there are other times where I'm like, dang you, dad. (laughs) 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 And do you have a top tip for living well? Something listeners can take away with them and apply in their own lives. I think it's back to the self-care, back to the me time. I personally am an athletic person, and I would recommend this to everybody, even though I know people don't necessarily like it. Exercising every day, even if it's walking, 
even if it's low impact or anything to boost your endorphins, I think is really helpful. But if that's not your version of self-care, do something else that is self-care related and, and make sure you have your me time. And what's your favorite article of clothing or accessory in your current wardrobe? Yoga pants. <laughs> Perfect pandemic solution for any occasion as well. <laughs> yeah. Are you wearing them now? They were yoga pants. And then I burned a hole in the knees from sliding on a gym floor during a rec therapy activity. And so I sewed them into shorts and... So yes, I am. <laughs> Excellent. We like to create a picture on this podcast. You see? Yep. <laughs> so would you like to earn a hundred grand? Do you think that's even possible? Relinda Moores is an integrative business and energy strategist. She talks about how to overcome limiting beliefs. So what I discovered with these limiting beliefs is that Every belief you have wants to be validated in reality. So it's exactly what you say. If I believe I, yeah, I cannot have it or I can't do it, it's very hard to make it happen. You think your belief is the truth. And that's the thing. Beliefs masquerade as the truth. And I really love to say, okay, when you want something or you desire something or you're not happy with something and you have these kind of thoughts about it, can you have a moment, just take a deep breath, write that thought down, it's not possible for me to make $100,000 a year and then ask yourself, is this 100% true? Do I know that this is the absolute and only truth? And if no, but okay, so could it be a limiting belief? And then from there, if it's a limiting belief, now we can look at it and maybe even slightly shift it or change it, but choose more empowering thoughts. It is possible for me. It would be really fun to make $100,000 a year. And, and how can I actually do that? There must be a way, I just don't know how yet. And then how does your energy shift? It's like, oh, I feel curious. I feel excited. And then you start to take very different actions. And because you start to take these different actions, you actually get a different result. And how would you describe your energy work? Do you actually do physical activity? Do you advise people to, to go out and move or to take up some sort of sport? Or, or how does that manifest itself in your mindset work? Yeah, great question. So besides dance, I also do Qigong, which is this Chinese energy art. It literally means the art of energy. And in Qigong, I learned to know what is like on the body level and the mind level and on the energy level. So the energy work for me is almost like the most powerful part of it, but it manifests in the body and in the mind as well. But all three of them are always connected. But yes, if you say, do you do things with people like getting them to move? Yes. I talk about, you know, embodiment. First of all, just getting out of your head, getting out of overthinking, but also tuning into the wisdom of your body. So if there's fear around something, you can shift that on so many ways. Sometimes you can talk about it for ages but maybe you just need to sit down and close your eyes and feel where is the tension in your body where is this fear manifesting in your body and listen to it and give it space there's this beautiful expression that says uh, the issues are in the tissues 
And I think there are not issues indeed, you know, you can feel it. So if you can listen to it and maybe gently invite the body to let go, then it often releases something. So that's on the physical level. And then I also teach my people Qigong, which I just love as an energy exercise. And Qigong is based on the whole idea that you get more energy in and then it flows through the body. And with that, it flushes out any blockages. Because basically the idea is either you're stuck, the energy is stuck, or it flows. And when we're healthy and happy and powerful, it means our energy is flowing. And then the mind work for me really is meditation, but also the belief work, where I go with my clients and I literally, if I work with a client on a belief, I take an hour to an hour and a half for one belief and they sit down and close their eyes and they go in a deep meditative state in a theta brainwave. And then we literally release the limiting belief and all the reasons around it, why the subconscious is holding on to it, let it go and replace the positive belief. And that is often a very big uh, shift for them right away. Yeah. And for people who feel maybe overwhelmed at the moment, but don't feel like they have the resources to hire a team to kind of outsource stuff, what would you advise for them to do? I would advise to early on start with that CEO schedule, meaning there's this idea that especially when you're an artist or you're just a, a professional starting a business that you don't think as an entrepreneur. There's a book called The E-Myth, which is a really interesting book to read. And for me, it had so many eye openers. And he talks about most people don't create a business. They create a really busy job for themselves that doesn't actually pay really well. So even though in the beginning, maybe you're even in a phase that you're like, I'm ready, but I have no clients. So you have like this weird space of having lots of time on your hands, but also not because you have the pressure of making money and it's just a weird space. And what I see people doing, like having a lot of to-dos, putting nothing in their calendar and kind of having the week open. And then when somebody asks something, they have time, they will do it. So this is the hardest phase. And I feel already putting in that CEO schedule. So what I did is like, I said, okay, my Mondays, I'm writing content for the next week because that's important to consistently create content and put that out there. So I'm going to do that. Then on Tuesday, I have clients. Now, if I would sit on Tuesday, I'm like, I have space for clients, but there ain't no clients. Um, then I would say, okay, so then instead, I do all the activities that get me clients such as outreach, interviewing people, engaging on social media, all the things that would get me in front of my clients. And if a client comes, no, they cannot go on Monday. Although my calendar seems empty, already creating that structure for me was really important. What great advice. And what's a daily habit or ritual you have that brings you joy? Okay, I have one. So I love meditating, but I also love snoozing. So what I do is my alarm goes and then I have my favorite meditations on my phone and I pick one and I love to be like in a half sleep state. So in my first 10 minutes of waking up, I'm basically snoozing, but I'm also meditating. And that is really something that I treasure. I love this moment of my day. And now you'll hear everyone answer that question I ask at the end of each show. Charlotte starts us off. 
And finally, what do you love most about life? I think I love life most about life. <laughs> I, I love the experience of it all. I think we have a cultural belief that life is all about moving towards the happy things and the good things and trying to avoid the bad things and the painful things. But actually, that's how we learn and grow, is to have the things that initially cause us suffering. What we do with the suffering is our choice, but I know it's easier said than done. But I think that life is actually about the whole of it, and it's about experiencing as much as you can experience. And I certainly have come to realise that I think when I was younger, I probably thought that what I wanted to do was feel settled. And you, you grow up thinking the thing to do is to have a marriage and have a house and have a car and, and a job and kind of just be settled. But actually, I think in reality, what I enjoy most about life is the variety and the ability to see things change and to experience change. And yeah, everything is uh, the more colour, the better, I think, for me anyway. Definitely the beauty of nature and the variety that it provides. I like change, maybe. And what I mean by that is that everything is always changing. And every time you get up, rather than being frightened or worried about change, I really like that it's everything's moving, everything's shifting. You never know what's going to happen. And that can be good and bad, but it is what it is in a way. And that sense of process and change that's what i like about life i hate the idea of things staying the same or i think everybody should embrace change and difference and yeah celebrate that i feel very lucky that i'm around my family and a lot of people at this moment are not so yeah i'm living with my brother my parents live down the road that's quite tricky as well being so close to your family but i think i'm i'm so grateful i get to see them and you know a lot of people aren't in that situation at the moment and can't see close family so yeah that's what i love in life at the moment i just love experiencing things and i guess that's just life in general is just experiencing both good and bad and the lessons that you learn from all of those different things so even just hearing the birds chirp this morning when I woke up was, you know, it's just an experience. It was just a moment to just be like, man, life's not perfect, but it, it can be pretty good sometimes. And so I think just experiencing and trying new things, even if we fail and being like, hey, but I done it. I don't have to do it again, but I did it. I'm fascinated by the idea that humans have the capacity to visualize something to have an idea and then bring it to life and i think this flow from formless which is the idea and the energy and it's all there and then bringing it into form this is what i love most about this life i find it infinitely fascinating so i think that's what i love most about life Well, hope you enjoyed this roundup episode. You'll hear clips from the remaining six guests next week in the final Also in Pink podcast episode of the year. So here are some key takeaways from the show today. Do you currently have plants in your life? If not, perhaps the plant love expressed by several of my guests will inspire you to give greenery a chance. 
The KonMari method is a wonderful way to hone in on those things you really want to have in your life and take with you into your future. And as Charlotte discovered, being more selective in your choice of photos captures a more vivid picture. It helps focus your memories and tell a story. Also, consider the environmental impact of the work you do. Martin, as an art director, is looking to find a balance to support local artists and still be part of that global perspective. It's an important thing to think about, especially now that the pandemic has proven that when we all work together, we can fundamentally change the way we do things. We can adapt quickly when we need to. And remember to take time for yourself this holiday season. Self-care should be an important part of daily life for all of us. So, as Innes suggests, limit your time on your phone, go outside and get in touch with nature. That's our show then. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Alexandria and this is Also in Pink, the podcast all about lifestyle design. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to Also in Pink wherever you get your podcasts. And the absolute best way to show your support is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. This really helps more than anything to promote the show. And of course, tell all your friends. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Redefine what's possible and create your ideal life.